This is the PMP Industry Insider Podcast. You're hearing from Coal March and Triangle Pest Control's Donnie Shelton and PCO Bookkeepers, PCO M&A Specialist, and Turf Books Dan Gordon, as well as some of the biggest players in the pest control and lawn care industries. We're talking about what is changing in the industry and taking you straight to the front lines of what the future holds. If you're ready to grow your pest control or lawn care business, you're in the right place. Hello, everyone. Welcome out to another episode of the PNP Industry Insider Podcast, where we take a look at what's changing in the industry and we take you to the front lines to those that are driving those changes in the industry. I'm your host, Donnie Shelton, owner of Triangle Pest Control and also CEO of Comarch, a digital marketing and sales services company that provides digital services for both the pest and lawn industries. As always, with me, the man that needs no introduction, Mr. Dan Gordon. Dan, would you like to say hello? Hi, everyone. Happy to be here. Great guest today. Um, we're PCO bookkeepers, PCO MA specialists, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and um, so anyway, I'd like to uh, jump right in. Today, we're going to be talking about uh, how to build a network to get you to the next level. And our guest, I met him several years ago uh, in a, a peer group that he runs, the Associated Group, uh, that I participate quite a bit in. And um, we became friends and um, and I see him at each of the uh, uh, at, of the events. And he does an amazing job of corralling and getting uh, 80 to 100 people to, to sit down and, and, and listen and, and, and uh, digest the information. Uh, my guest is, or our guest is Ed Robinson. He's the president and founder of Capacity Building Solutions. It's a consulting firm that he started in 2002 that focuses on business management, organizational development, needs of small to medium business. Um, and his expertise is in working with senior leaders and leadership teams to uh, uh, assess and address strategic decision making and leadership challenges. Uh, Ed is a Vistage uh, coach, um, which is probably one of the most prestigious peer groups uh, uh, out there. Uh, he chairs uh, five CEO leadership groups for Vistage International, and um, he's a facilitator, as I said, for Associated Group, uh, which is a collection of family-owned operate and operated regional pest management firms. How was that, Ed? That was awesome, and it's actually 11 years now. Can you believe wow. it? This August is 11 years since I started doing those meetings for Associated. Time flies. Yeah, time does fly, especially yeah. when you're having fun. Yeah, well, we've Ed, I'm, I was going to say, Ed, we're, we're so glad to have you here uh, on the podcast. And, and Dan and I have been anxiously awaiting you coming on board. And I think it would be good for our audience, you know, just for you for a moment to just tell us about your background. Um, you know, why is it that you decided to take on you know, developing leaders and how you got involved in Vistage, you know, and then also this whole idea of peer groups and peer group facilitation. How did you get into that? And so let's start with that just so we can kind of bring our audience up to speed on kind of who you are and your background. And we'll kind of jump into peer groups after that. You know, I tell my clients a lot. I love the hedgehog concept that Jim Collins came up with. And I like to apply that to life, your passion, your talents and your economic needs. Right. So I will tell you, I have had a passion for leadership since I was a small child. In fact, a little known fact about me is when I was in elementary school, I was obsessed with Napoleon. 
So I read everything I could about Napoleon, so much so that my father, when I was 13, took me to Waterloo to the battleground to, to see what had transpired, what I've been reading about my whole life. How I was, cool is that? Really? Yeah. That's pretty, I, pretty cool. And by the way, Wellington gets far too much credit for what happened at, at you know, Waterloo. <laughs> just because, but, but anyway, <laughs> so, and, and from that, um, I just had a love of history. And I remember reading everything I could get on George Washington and Abraham Lincoln and Teddy Roosevelt. And so I was just fascinated from a very early age with leadership and leaders. Uh, and then I, you know, I started playing sports, doing things, and I always found myself in a leadership role. I was captain of every team um, I ever participated in, including going into college. Uh, I became player coach of, of a club lacrosse team. Uh, every job I had, I, I tended to become get into a leadership role fairly quickly. So it's always been a passion of mine. And hopefully the people who work with me, they'd say a talent as well. So I'm a big believer in the concept of flow. When you're doing what you're meant to be doing, it almost feels effortless. And for me, I love what I do. And more importantly, I love the people I do it with. Uh, and you, know, you make a decision. I was at... Uh, uh, the Stratford Shakespeare Festival in, in Ontario. And I watched the, the play Othello. And there's this, this character in Othello called Iago. And Iago whispers in the king's ear and slowly drives him mad. And when we were coming back from that, I told my wife at the time, I now know what I'm, I'm going to do. She said, I'm going to be the positive Iago. I'm I was be, thinking. I was thinking it was more like Dan in my year. Yeah. I was yeah. crazy. I don't know. <laughs> so, but, but what happens is, you know, leadership is a very lonely place, and um, just because you assume the responsibility doesn't mean you know what you're doing. And uh, you know, a lot of people don't get much formal training, so they kind of jump into the deep end. And everybody has an opinion about what you're doing, oftentimes contrasting opinions. So you need to have a resource, you need to have a person, a confidant who, who, who has your best interest at heart and it can be objective. So I just found myself, you know what? I want to be the positive Iago. I want to be the person who's, you know, standing beside the king and, and whispering the things in, in his or her ear uh, that helps them make better decisions, that helps them be a better leader, that has a greater positive impact. And that's why a big part of my practice now is executive coaching. So I run peer groups, but most of my peer group models involve some element of executive coaching. And I'm engaged in, you know, 55, 60 one-on-one -on -one conversations a month with CEOs and business owners uh, where I try to help them navigate uh, the journey of leadership. And that's been quite a journey over the past, you know, 14 months. And I, and I feel privileged to have that. So what, what makes a peer group so effective and why, how, how did you get involved with this? Did you, can you talk a little bit about uh, how that yeah, all yeah. works? You, you ever, there's a certain element of life where you stumble through it and you end up in, in a place. So I had been funded by two of the major foundations in the DC metro area to create a peer group experience for some of the top nonprofit organizations in Washington, DC. So I knew I could see the value even back then. And we're talking in the, uh, the mid 90s, um, that there was a benefit to a peer based experience. And if I was going to 
train people on leadership, it would make sense to bring groups of people together and share their experiences. So I created this model while working at, uh, you know, Community Wealth Ventures, the organization that I led, uh, where we had a peer-based experience. And I don't know how it happens, it's kismet sometimes in life, but I bumped across the Vistage chair. And I, don't know, I, I forget how we met. And we started speaking and I said, hey, would you come speak to my group? Uh, I think you have a lot of wisdom that you could share and I'd love for them to hear from you. He'd been CEO of a multinational organization. He was a very impressive man. His name is David Belden, by the way. Hi, David. Uh, so he came and spoke to my group and he talked about Fierce Conversations by Susan Scott, which is uh, how most people avoid the necessary conversations in life because they're difficult. And the group was kind of in awe of what he had to say. It was very powerful. So I started talking to him and I realized I'm building all these things from scratch. And there's an organization that's been around since 1957 that's been doing this, that has a model, that has a roster of 2,000 plus speakers, that has extensive chairing, chairing on how to do it well, that has a proven methodology and process. So I was really impressed by that. And then I got recruited by one of his colleagues to come join his group. Hi, Harvey. Uh, and I was really seriously considering joining a Vistage group in my role that I was serving in. And then I sat back and thought about it and said, you know, I could do that or I could become a Vistage chair. And so back in, in July of 2003, I went to Vistage chair training uh, and it was very difficult at the time to become a chair. You had to go through multiple interviews and video scenarios. And uh, I found out this opened up this world to me that was just magnificent, full of resources, full of knowledge, full of talent. Um, there were people I could learn from. I wasn't having to create it all from scratch. And I've never looked back. I've loved every minute of it. So Vistage is so, a part of what I do, but that's not all of what I do. So I want to back up just for a moment because you, you made a really good point. Um, and I remember experiencing this when I was first starting at Triangle, which is, you know, I realized early on that yeah, I had no one to talk to. I'm out there trying to do the best I can. I do what I think I'm supposed to be doing. Like, okay, this might work. Um, can you just talk through, I mean, because to me, I, I'm, I belong to a peer group now. I think it's one of the best things you can do as a business owner for a number of reasons. Number one is that, you know, <clears throat> it seems like, you know, most large companies, there's a CEO and kind of a C-suite, but then there's also a board of directors, right? And so if the CEO, like, you know, he still has this whole cadre of people that he can, you know, he reports to. So there's this whole accountability side of things, but there's also this experience, right? He has this wealth of experience he can turn to or she, right? And as a small business owner, you just simply don't have that. And so I realized early on, I'm like, I, I, need, to, I need to find other folks to just bounce ideas off of. and you know, if I say I'm going to do something, hold me accountable to it. Because, you know, when you're at the top, real easy to just like give yourself a pass when you're not executing. So can you just talk a little bit about what you like? OK, so I'm a business owner. I may or may not be a part of a peer group. Can you just talk through like, all right, here's where you're at and here's why you really need to be thinking about joining some sort of peer group or some sort of you know development group as an owner? Yeah, well, even those large companies that you talk about with boards and C-suites, the feedback they're oftentimes not getting is objective. 
right? They have a vested stake in the outcome, whether it's the board or the C-suite. So I like people, I like to create scenarios where people can get objective feedback, where nobody has any skin in that particular game. They're just giving you an unbiased opinion or perspective on what they're observing. Uh, so even they have a difficult time. So even large company CEOs oftentimes seek out other CEOs so they can have someone to bounce. Sometimes they put them on their board because then we've all been through this. I'll be on your board. You be on my board. We know what it's like to be the guy. Yes, yeah. Right. Well, yeah, sometimes, unfortunately, yes. Um, but most businesses don't get above a million dollars. Right. You know, there was a study that was done about 20 years ago of businesses. And I think the majority of businesses don't get over a million dollars. In fact, they have a handful of employees. And then there's this threshold. I tell people what I see in business, there's the million dollar threshold. Then there's the two and a half million dollar threshold. Then there's the $5 million threshold. Then there's a $10 million threshold. And there's a $25 million threshold. And at each stage, you have to build leadership and management capacity. So most entrepreneurs, most leaders, they're everything at the beginning. They do everything. Um, they have to be a generalist and they have to take on skill sets they know very little about. And usually what's rewarded is just a lot of hard work, good luck, and hopefully a good product or service that you're delivering. But it's not because you're great at leadership. It's you're great at doing. And then we evolve in the journey and we grow and we have to learn how to be good. We have to build systems. We have to build processes. We have to build people. Uh, and that's where leadership, once you add one or two people to the mix, it gets complicated. Add 5, 10, 15. You can't keep your hands on top of everything. And a lot of reasons why businesses don't grow is because the leader has difficulty yielding control. Right? And then oftentimes, what I hear, if I hear this one more time, one of my least favorite phrases is, how did you learn? The school of hard knocks. Okay, great. So if you look at your role as a profession, and leadership is a profession, there's various things you have to do. Right. You have to be able to market and sell. You have to be able to execute and deliver on operations. You have to be able to manage your finances. Um, you have to be able to manage workplace dynamics. There's a lot of there's a lot involved in growing and managing an organization. And to think you're just going to fall forward and figure it out as you go along. I'm not saying people don't do that. But to me, it's just it's silly. So why not accelerate your growth and development and surround yourself with people and advisors? The first thing we do is we hire outside advisors who know what we don't. You know, accounting's a very basic thing. People talk to people like Dan and say, hey, my business is getting beyond me. Can you help me out? Can you give me some financial advice? But even then, as we grow, we need to get unvarnished, unbiased feedback and learn from other people's experiences. And so what happens is if you treat your leadership role as a profession, and if you're in a profession, by the very definition, you need professional development. You want to put yourself in an environment with other people who are learning and growing, both experientially, but then the best peer groups have outside subject matter experts who come in and give you tips and pointers along the way that's going to accelerate you to that next threshold. So I tell folks, once you get to the study show that once you get above 25 employees, the failure rate of businesses is very low. Very low because the business can't run just with you. You have to have people in place. You have to have some processes and systems. You have to share some of the burden of running the organization, but getting there is hard. 
Right. So, so tell me, so I'm really interested. Uh, so Vistage is basically a, a peer group with lots of um, uh, uh, businesses that are in different industries and whatnot. And so uh, you've got that. And then you've got something like associated group and there's other that, that's industry specific. Do you recommend joining an industry specific and a non-industry specific, or do you choose one or the other? Um, obviously, you know, time is a valuable commodity. You can't be in a hundred peer groups. What, 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 what's the strategy that you should follow? Well, I actually say if you can afford it, and I think if you look at it as an investment, you should be able to afford it. You should do both. I would add a business networking group on top of that, especially if you're an early stage entrepreneur. Okay. The benefit of an industry group like an associated is you have industry experts. So you're all sharing your industry knowledge and development and best practices. So you're accelerating your industry capability, which is wonderful. And I love it associated just the energy that people get from one another. Hey, you're doing that. How are you doing that? We did it this way. Why'd you do it this way? Right. What metrics are you using to measure productivity and efficiency? And people can draw that connection. Look, I'm running a pest control business. I'm with other pest control operators. Some of them smaller than me. Some of them bigger than me. Many of them have solved the problems I'm dealing with. Some of them dealing with technology challenges. I'm going to go to that group because there's real practical hands-on knowledge and wisdom there that I can apply directly and immediately to my business. And then you go to a Vistage group. And what you get from a Vistage group is a little different perspective because you're not getting industry bias. In fact, it's oftentimes fascinating what people from different industries see when they look at your business. They can be completely objective. They're not caught up in the day-to-day -day of pest control and the realities of being in a business for 10, 15, 20 years, but you get an architect looking at a pest control business with kind of a design orientation, right? And a building orientation who looks at structure a little bit differently. You get a government contractor who's doing IT services, who's had to help people scale businesses and use technology. Maybe you get somebody in a plumbing or electrical contracting business that has techs in the field, just like you do, but they have a slightly different uh, product that they're delivering. So they have different metrics and different processes. Or guess what? Maybe you get somebody who's in a retail environment in B2C who's having to sell to customers on a regular basis, and they've really had to amp up their customer service orientation. So when you get people from different industries with different perspectives looking at your business, it's like a kaleidoscope, and they see things you wouldn't see. So what I believe is a peer group in your industry accelerates your knowledge of that industry, so you're going deep, right? A peer group like Vistage, it expands your horizons and your perspectives, so you're going broad, right? The, the pond becomes bigger. Your frame of reference becomes bigger. And quite frankly, I would argue that for early stage entrepreneurs, certainly to get to the point before you can build a sales force, if you can be part of a business networking group that helps you with making connections to grow sales, um, uh, to, to build peer networks for that specific purpose that's the trifecta as far as i'm concerned so i have a i have another question i want to go back to something that you said because it really resonated with me and and that is this whole idea of the business owner seeing himself or herself as a leader and that becomes that becomes my job right not 
you know, hitting the numbers or obviously you need to do that, not getting something done. You know, one of the things that I I think is the most difficult thing I've had to do as a leader is teach folks on my leadership team about personal development and how important it is. You know, to me, it's like, you know, personal development is really leadership development, right? You can't really disconnect the two. And so just getting folks to read books, like, okay, what are you doing? Learn it, you know? And so I guess that I'm bringing this all around to who is a good candidate for joining the peer group and how do you, this is a loaded question, but how do you change or get someone to get in the mindset that, look, my job now is not, you know, X, Y, or Z. My job really is becoming a better leader and figuring out ways to set up my business in a better way. Like, does that, does that question make sense at all? Like, who's it? I mean, like, well, I, said, yeah. I, said, I went around. I went around a lot of places there, but <laughs> well, let, let's let, let's face it. I mean, two very important things in life, right? You know, parenting and leadership. You know, there's no school or license to become a parent. It happens. You decide you're going to start a business tomorrow and hire an employee. You're a leader. You didn't have to pass a test, right? So you can assume this responsibility over either individual's life or a group of individual lives with no formal training. It's fascinating when you think about it. And then people sign up to come work for you without really checking you out. Although the millennials have gotten better at this. Okay, I need a job. There's this company here. I'm going to go work for this. Now, now Glassdoor and some other things have provided information, but I'm going to put my future in the hands of this person, my financial and professional future, who I know very little about and just hope that it works out. So that's a that's a that, that that's strange. So uh, I mean, I go ahead, Dan, and I'll answer the second part go, of your question. Go ahead. So, so finish up. I'm sorry. Well, what I'd say is now, look, there's sometimes people go into leadership, and there's different types of archetypes, right? There's the person who's just the soloist. Um, they like kind of this. They don't like to be told what to do by anyone. They couldn't possibly be an employee. So they go out and start their own thing because they're interested in being a solo performer in life, right? They're not interested in feedback. They'll just figure it out as they go along. That's who they are. A lot of entrepreneurs are that way. They're basically unemployable, right? Right. Uh, but Donnie uh, is, I am. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say now, early on, that was very much. So, no, you just, I'm laughing. I'm totally saying. unemployable. Well, well, <laughs> oh, yeah. We've had this discussion, by the way, you saying this, me and Dan have totally had this discussion before. So keep going. Yeah. So so uh, they have no choice but to bet on themselves. Right. Mm -hmm. But there's a group of people within that subset is they really. They want to see what they can do in motivating and growing the capability of other people. So they're interested in feedback. They're interested in getting better. They see the role as a profession. It's, just, it's a small minority. I mean, like I said, most businesses aren't successful. They just survive. Mm -hmm. uh, there's plenty of people in life, they haven't built a successful business. What they've done is they've bought themselves a job, right? And you see it. And any kind of bump in the economy or anything, uh, they struggle mightily. But there's this group of people who want to learn, who want to get better. And they're typically the people who push through those thresholds I talked about. They quickly get per, past that million dollar threshold. Then they get to that two and a half million dollar threshold. You see their growth trajectory the first five to seven years of your business, and it's pretty aggressive, right? Well, they realize they need help. 
you know, I tell my members the two most important uh, things a leader can say is, I don't know and I need help. So right? the, the, the um, switch gears for a second, something that Donnie said kind of pretty interesting. So you want to uh, have professional development and then personal development. And we had uh, one of our guests was uh, Mike Romney, uh, actually his partner, Brian White. Uh, from Fox. And what they do is they take on employees and then they help them in their personal development, whether, you know, they'll bring in a financial guy to help them with investments and all that kind of thing. And I've always, from my perspective, I've always wondered how you can cross that line and have people accept it. Or do you cross that line and people say, well, well, I work for you. You don't need to get involved in my family or uh, finances. Or, or how, how do you tote that line? Well, everything is is leader specific. First off, I'll tell you as a leader, you realize things very quickly. You have to make up for the deficits in the educational system and um, people's parenting. Right. So um, a lot of people don't really get good guidance when they're young. Mm hmm. You know, so they show up. So you're going to deal with it one way or another. You hire employees and human beings show up. You got an employee who makes bad financial decisions because they don't understand personal finance or personal budgeting. You don't think that's going to come back to haunt you? Hey, Dan, I need to make more money. Why? I just had a kid. Well, yeah, well, I need more money. But you don't, your job, you get this much for doing this job, but I need more money. Or I just bought a new car. Right. Hang on. How about my, 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 my favorite on that is I actually had a guy tell me one time, hey, man, I'm having to pay more child support, so I need a raise. <laughs> yeah. <Sorry>. yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so, so they don't they don't have basic life skills. Here's another one. Right. How about conflict? Name a school system that teaches conflict management skills. Half the marriages in this country end in divorce. That divorce precipitates um, children living in two different places, which further exacerbates conflict. So people, you could just say, okay, well, that's your problem. Or maybe you offer a conflict management, maybe parenting classes. I advised a lot of my clients during COVID to create best practice groups for state, you know, people who are educating their kids from home so they could share best practices on how they're navigating that, right? Because they were struggling a lot with how are you balancing working from home and educating your children? So why don't we create a platform where they can share best practices? So if you think the personal challenges that people do, elder care, right? Uh, having a spouse who's ill, you know, people don't understand how to navigate those things. So I like to tell my owners, you know, why don't create brown bag lunch programs, make it optional, personal budgeting. You're gonna buy your first house. How do you afford your kids going to college? You've got aging parents, parenting the teenager. And you can't mandate it. But, but make it available for people. At least have your HR department have resources to help people with. And if people are interested, don't pursue it. And then there's personal development, which bleeds into your professional development. A lot of people weren't taught how to have good work habits, right? We get frustrated with them, right? But how do you act as a professional? What is a work ethic, right? How do you take personal responsibility? What is individual accountability, right? To think you don't have to train those skills of people who come to work for you is just naive. So I'd say that you make those, you make certain things available from a life perspective, from a performance perspective, 
skill sets you're expecting of your employees, life skills, like how to manage their time, right? I'd say you, you create those courses and those trainings for them. In your one-to-ones, now different leaders have different comfort levels. I have CEOs and owners who the moment it gets personal, it gets very uncomfortable for them. Mm-hmm. And they say, I draw a hard fast. I, uh, we don't talk personal. It's just work. Okay, good for you. But that person's leaving your office and they're still having problems with their teenage kid. They're still uh, you know, uh, in over their head on their mortgage and their marriage is on the rocks. So you could just act like that doesn't happen and they show up and they can put that all behind them. But I think that's nonsense. So sometimes all a leader has to do is show empathy, compassion, and then have resources. I was a big believer when I was running organizations of employee assistance programs. Look, I know you're going through a difficult time right now. I know you're challenged. I care about you. The company does have this resource, um, which you can access to help you navigate that. And uh, we want to provide you some help. Now, that's all on the personal side. On the professional well, I believe, side. But, but before we move to the professional, I've got to believe having that and focusing on that creates an amount of loyalty that you just, you know, today's, I, I think in today's economy and, in, and even with, you know, some of, I don't want to say, you know, millennial or, or Gen Z, it's pretty common to job hop, but very few companies really do give that kind of attention. So I have to believe that by, investing in kind of these employee assistance programs or, you know, helping them with life skills, like you say, which is a great idea, by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm taking that one. We do some of that. I don't know that we do it to the level that you just described, which I really love, but it has to create, I don't know if there's any data on that or not, but I mean, Hey, if I got someone who's in on, you know, they're, they're, they're in for me, why would I leave that? Because it's so uncommon. Um, is there any data for that? It's, it seems that a trigger is what you need to get people. I mean, you could post on the company bulletin board, hey, we're going to have this financial planner in today and he's going to teach you about investments. Or I like the, hey, I'm buying a house and I can't afford it. That's a trigger, right? So uh, Yeah, the, the triggers just, could be helpful. But, yeah, uh, but I would argue comfortable that you're entering somebody's personal life without them inviting them. You know? Yeah, what, what I would say is just think about think about life comes down to a handful of big decisions, right? It really does. I've written on this, right? So very thing. We're going to have a regular curriculum. We're going to offer it. You know, I'm in a soapbox here, and I don't want to divert too much. Uh, but we're going to have. I actually like it. Let's keep going. <laughs> uh, there's a couple decisions you're going to make when you're an employee here. You're going to first off, we want you to be able to manage your money. We want you to understand personal finance. We're not going to mandate it, but we're going to make this available for you. A couple times a year, we're going to have someone come in and talk about personal financial management. We're all dealing with parents uh, and parental issues, those of us who have kids. So what we're going to do is we're going to create maybe once a month a best practice discussion group where you can meet. We'll buy lunch and everybody will share parenting best practices and we'll bring in an expert that talks about parenting. Then at some point, you may want to have to make some big decisions. You're going to buy um, your first home. Okay, so we're going to talk to you about that in the process of buying a home and how much you really can afford and those sort of things. So you understand going in, you're knowledgeable. So once or twice a year, we're going to have a mortgage person come in, bank come in and talk to you about how that works and what are the hidden numbers inside everything, right? Um, you may have uh, kids getting ready to go for college. You may or may not plan. So we're going to have a saving for college, how you can navigate college and 
the financial aid, we're going to have someone come in a couple times a year. So over the course of 12 months, you could stitch together some regular sessions that would help people have less stress and make better decisions in their personal life. And I'm a big believer in that. I mean, uh, you know, what are we in this life for if we assume leadership? Uh, I hope it's to be useful and helpful. And we hire human beings, right? Not just employees. So if we can some way be helpful in that regard, we don't mandate it. Now, in one-to-ones, people may open up to you. And if they open up to you and they give you an opening, Dan, I'd like to see myself as a resource. I don't ever want to play amateur psychologist. You should never open up what you can't put back in the box, right? Yes, right. I agree with that. Well, right. I mean, and, that, and that's really important. What you just said, because I have seen this a lot with owners, is that they get too close and they, they take on this role of therapist. And it's like, no, that's not your role. Yeah. <laughs> you know, get, go tell them to go get help, but you're not, you're not there to listen to nor solve any personal problems. I mean, obviously, like you said, I love the idea of being empathetic, but not now I'm going to recommend you go. I, I love the key takeaway. Don't open up the, you, you got to be able to put it back in the box. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and I would say that if whoever manages the workplace function or HR, okay, here are some, a handful of good family therapists in the area, right? Um, here are some people who help you. Here are a couple of people, resources with managing elder care responsibilities, right? We can have some resources, you know, uh, marriage counseling. You know, here are some marriage counseling organizations. One of them is a nonprofit. It's free. But if you're having, we have resources for you if you need help, right? Um, and we're not going to make a judgment. Let's say here are some things maybe you should explore, but we're here to resource you and, and, and be, because what we want, Donnie, what I was going to say before is everybody wants one thing. You know what that is? I think they all want happiness, however they define that peace of mind, however. You, yeah. Even more important than that. Well, set us up. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Yeah. Here, here it is. Knocking on the park here. What? It, what is it? Everybody wants to matter. I would agree with that. Yep. So everybody wants to feel that they matter to somebody else, to you, that they're important, that they're valued. Even before happiness, that their life has some meaning to the people they associate with. And um, I find a lot of leaders do this stuff, right? And they're missing a huge opportunity, right? All right, um, hang on. So just so our listeners can say what this stuff is, you're going to have to verbalize it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this stuff well, is, they keep them at arm's length, yeah. right? Yeah, uh, just I just I just bring this to our list because obviously we're doing this on video and, and a lot of our listeners are just, you know, consuming us with a, a, a podcast app or whatever. But now I want to. So let's 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 bring this back around because this is a great conversation. Um, but we started with this whole idea. You know, the topic, obviously, is this how to build your network to get to the next level. And I do want to bring that back around. I think we talked a little bit about how important it is as a as an owner, number one, for you to see you know, your role truly is leadership and leadership is what that's, that's being all in on your people. We kind of went into that. I want to talk a little bit. I want to, you know, we're getting close to the end here and I want to just briefly, let's, let's talk about someone who's there. There may or may not be a part of a peer group. And I've seen a lot of leaders over the years, you know, when someone isn't seeing the success they want to see, what is the most common thing that you see that's really holding them back? 
uh, as a leader? Two things, people or math? Math, not meth. Just, just math. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess there could be a third thing. I guess meth could be one. But, <laughs> but I, I typically find that most leadership, business leadership challenge run through the the vein of either uh, math, people not understanding the basic economics of business or the math variables that drive their business. And then secondly, it's people because you need people um, to perform in your business and to deliver on your promise to your customers and also manage the internal dynamics. So oftentimes, I can't tell you how many times people issues come up in our meetings. And that usually is you know, uh, employees who don't know how to, how to get along with other employees or aren't a good fit for their responsibility, um, who don't know how to communicate effectively. Uh, there's lots of people issues, dynamics, which create tariffs, we create problems. So a lot of problems in business are around people-related issues that are unaddressed and linger for long periods of time. And I tell my leaders, lean into the people issues. Once you identify there's a people issue or something going on in your organization, lean into it. But it's even earlier than that. It's who you hire, it's how you hire, who you bring into your organization, it's who you promote, it's what kind of training you give them, it's what kind of feedback you give them, what kind of uh, training and development and coaching you give them. You know, a person comes in, they should be on this career development, professional development, personal development journey, and you're helping them that. Oftentimes, it's deficits in that which get in the way. And then there's basic, I mean, Dan deals with this more than me. It's amazing how quasi-successful people can be with being fairly ignorant about basic finance. Uh, uh, it's, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Despite, yeah, despite themselves in some cases, right? Yeah. Uh, but a lot, of times, a lot of times, a lot of the people that you see that you think are these, fan, you know, just successful people, we know their finances and they're not as good as, you know, their, their public images, but uh, we see that all the time. Uh, number, number, number one and number two, uh, bankruptcies, uh, the professional classes are attorneys and doctors, very smart people, right? So very smart. I didn't smart know that about attorneys, but doctors for sure. Yeah. So sometimes people can fall forward in life. They've got a great personality. They've got a great product, but where you really see it is margin sensitive businesses. So, um, you give somebody a market business with margins of a lot of white collar professional services. If you're running it well, you should be doing in, in excess of a 15%, maybe even 25% margin. There's a lot of room for error there. Where you really see more sophisticated, I have one guy who's a mechanical contractor who does large construction projects. Or if you look at a general, general contractor, they're literally living on two, three, 4% margins. They tend, they tend to have a much better handle on their finances because if they make a mistake, um, it can really have significant consequences. So a lot of people are in a business and what they think they're doing well. This is why I like external benchmarks and what Dan does and what we try to do at Associated, doing my other groups, is you know if the industry is growing by 10% and you're growing by 6%, are you performing as a leader or are you just riding a wave? If uh, industry margins are eight and a half percent and you're at four percent, are, are you running an efficient, effective business? Right. 
No, because you have no external comparison. So a lot of people, they may enter the right industry, they might be in the right market, and they fall forward until they don't. And I will tell you, if you don't understand the finance of your business, ultimately, the market will make that abundantly clear. Right. Yeah. And well, one one thing I want to mention here, and and this is a, I mean, what you just said, the two things are, are I think they're great points. In pest control, in lawn care, by definition, we are a service company, mm-hmm. which means we absolutely have to be on point when it comes to people, because that's what we sell. Ultimately, right? We sell people. We sell their skills. You know what they can perform and those types of. Any recommend and, and of the two things that you say, I mean, obviously, Dan and I both run into folks who don't know their numbers. They are absolutely riding a wave, and somehow, some way, they sleep at night and they make it work. Right? Good for them. <laughs> it's really don't like what you said. Pest control and lawn care show what a great country we live in. <laughs> oh, so but but bringing it back around, you know, for folks who, because listen, I'm not gonna. I mean, you know, I, I run and operate two businesses now. It's not like we don't ever have people issues. And I've shared some thoughts, you know, here in the podcast. Do you have any books? Like if someone is, you know, they're like, yeah, you know, I do have people issues, which we all do. Uh, I'll never forget this old guy one time. He's like, you're married. I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, tell me about your marriage, marriage problems. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, well, if you're married, you got marriage problems. <laughs> <laughs> and he was right, you know, uh, but I mean, so I, I would say, you know, maybe for the owners here is like, hey, if you own a pastor lawn company and you've got lots of folks working for you, you have people issues like it or not. They're going to come. So any book recommendations, any place for someone to start like, OK, I do need to get better at this. I need to develop more skills here. There's obviously joining peer groups. There's obviously, you know, joining a group. I think a group like this just to help you with your own skills. But. Any other places they could be looking? Any any recommendations? Uh, the, the nice thing about being a leader today is access to information. So there's so many thought leaders, and there have been for some time on this topic. I advise my members, you know, get a subscription to the Wall Street Journal and read the front page every day. And there's probably something on there that may resonate with you. Get a subscription to the Harvard Business Review and read it when it comes out. And if you can add the McKinsey quarterly to that mix, please do that, right? So those are three things that I say business leaders should be reading. And in terms of authors and books, I mean, the Gallup organization has been doing tremendous work. And I did work for Gallup for a while and have written many books on how to manage and lead and select people. So, um, you know, First Break All the Rules was a seminal book. Now Discover Your Strengths is a seminal book on that. You've got Simon Sinek out there who's been talking a lot about purpose and the culture and the environment start with why. Jim Collins, first two, then what? You know, his B2.0, his most recent book talks about that. The leadership. Oh, I, and, that's, and that's one I, yeah, I was going to say, that's one I've recommended several times on this podcast because it's a wonderful book. Keep going. But you go back. I mean, I've got on my website, capacity-building.com, there's a whole list of recommended reading. Not only do I have books I'd recommend, but articles that I'd recommend based on various business topics. And I'm not the only one who does that. There's great resources. If you're going to manage people, hopefully you belong to SHRM, the Society for Human Resource Management, um, because they have helpful information that can come out. When I was starting out very early in management and leadership, I was a member of the American Management Association. Um, and I happen to be in the D.C. metro area, so I could pop down to their library quite frequently 
um, but they've got great online resources. There's no shortage of resources. This is incredible. A website called businessballs.com, which all people in my field share best practices based on certain topic areas and tools and what you could use in your business. But I mean, you go with Pat Lencioni. I mean, Pat Lencioni's, I met Pat when he was very getting started uh, with Five Temptations of a CEO. Great book. Every CEO should read it, Five Temptations of a CEO. But he's put out tremendous books about people-related issues and how to select people and manage people and navigate people, especially when they're on teams. So there's loads of resources out there, um, uh, which is great because they weren't as prevalent before. Mm -hmm. You really had to re rely on the associations. So, so uh, listen, give us that, what is that website one more time? It's capacity, what, give that website one more time. Capacity-building.com. And okay, there's a whole perfect. section, free resources, where I have websites, I have recommended articles, I have book reviews, I have book recommendations, article recommendations, tools that you can use. I have a 360-degree tool you can use to assess your managers. I have another tool you can use to assess your leadership team and how they're doing and interacting with one another. But there's, there's great assets and tools. There's no reason to be uninformed today. But right. here's the thing, Donnie and Dan, this is why leaders, there's three things leaders have to do. And everybody does. Thinking, being, doing. We are very much a task-driven society, so we reward doing. So we reward very busy, hardworking people who get things done. Okay. And then we look at being, which is how they show up. Um, they're fit with our culture. Uh, do they role model the right behaviors? But here's the key thing, thinking. And it's intangible. And as you grow your capabilities and your organization as leader, you have to spend time doing the thinking and the reading and the reflecting. I, I budget 45 minutes a day for professional reading every day and typically do more on the weekends. Okay. You have to keep doing that type of stuff. And sometimes leadership is you've got people doing stuff for you, but you're sitting there and going, I had my group before the pandemic hit doing contingency planning. What if analysis? analysis if something happened. I can't believe I was so prescient at the time that that was coming. But all of my guys looked at what happened. What if your business went down by 10%? What if your business went down by 20%? What if your major uh, customer cut back their orders? Okay. All those things. What if your key employees left? Right. You got to think through scenarios. You have to plan. You have to reflect. And a lot of people don't, a lot of, especially entrepreneurs, they get some juice from doing, from activity that they got to realize you got to let go and let other people do that. You need to grow and evolve and you have to take that experience through doing and you not only have to reflect it through how you show up, but in thinking and reflecting and learning and bringing that back to the organization. You have to be thinking out in the future where the organization's going. Is that a business leader? You're still worried about what's happening week to week if you run a business with more than 10 people? There's something wrong. Yeah, you're screwing right? up. Yeah, you're, you're screwing, screwing up. You're screwing up. And I did want to say one thing because you asked about professional development. I want to hit that before we cut out. I tell my folks, you have five key jobs as, as a CEO, owner of your business. You're the chief strategist. Where is the organization going and why? You're the chief sales officer. You make, need to make sure you have a scalable and repeatable sales process in your organization. You're the chief team builder. You need to have the right people in the right roles interacting in the right way to be successful. Okay. You're the chief accountability officer. You need to make sure that the organization has systems and, and processes 
that ensure it, the organization does what it says it's going to do, and you're the chief culture officer. You need to make sure that a work environment is being cultivated and created that fosters the type of interaction amongst your employees that will lead to successful outcomes. So those those are key. And there's only, how do you measure a business? I call it the business GPA. You either sell more to new customers, you sell more to existing customers, you manage your operations effectively to maximize the bottom line, you create a work environment that attracts and retains talent, you consistently meet, then exceed customer expectations, and you create an environment of continuous improvement and innovation in your operation. You should be doing, anything you're doing should be pulling one of those levers, those outcome levers, and leveraging one of your roles. And if you can spend the majority of your time focused on these roles and those outcomes, I guarantee you'll be successful. But I also guarantee if you audit your time and you see how most entrepreneurs spend their time, there's an imbalance in how they spend their time. And there's a lack of consistent focus on the things that'll make them successful. You mean That's like the lot. sales guy, the, the, the sales guy that only focuses on sales and the yeah. culture guy that only focuses on, oh no, I totally get it. That's great. Well, Dan, this any party, uh, oh gosh, this is great. I'm yeah. texting folks right now that, hey, when this episode comes out, you need to listen to it. It's great. I, I Ed, thank you for joining us. This has been so much fun. I really enjoyed this session. I enjoyed what you had to say. Any parting thoughts, Dan, before we close out? We really appreciate uh, you coming on. I, I just, I'm blown away. This this was terrific. I really appreciate no, it. Was, Thanks so much. It was wonderful. Yeah. Thank you very much, Ed. And uh, and we'll we'll try to get you back on. I'm sure there's going to be some questions once uh, yeah. once we release this episode. So, well, that that finishes out for this episode of the PMP Industry Insider Podcast. Remember, if you like this episode or any of our episodes, please go out and leave us a review. Remember to subscribe. And with that, we're going to close out this session, and we will see you all next time. Thanks a lot, Ed. See you, Dan. Thanks so much. Bye. Thank you for Bye -bye what you now. do.